Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear one, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, John Russin here. I serve as the host and the wrangler of Pastor Frank Friedman and Frank, or at least I try to. And Frank, we've been talking about a really important topic in this series, haven't we? The will of God. John, I'll be honest, I had so much fun last time. The will of God is an exciting subject, not a scary one in any way. We know that God's not the author of confusion. And so when we look at his word, we discover his will and how beautiful it really is. And so I'm excited that people are going to listen in today. And I'm excited where uh, the Holy Spirit's going to take us. Yes, sir. I am as well. Last time, friends, we basically spent the whole episode talking about the problem, the confusion, the way folks just make the will of God so difficult. And so what we're going to do today is dive into scripture. Of course, whenever you have a question, the first place to look, the best place to look is Father's Word. And Frank, what I actually found is that there are really only about seven verses in scripture mm. in the New Testament that really talk about the will of God plainly and clearly. And what I'd like to do today for as long as it takes us to go through them, maybe this episode or the next two, is I want to start to unpack those verses because as I've looked at them, they're extremely rich. And my friend, the first one is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And let me read this for us. The Lord is, and I'm going to uh, paraphrase, the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is almost like a foundational bedrock truth of the will of God, isn't it, Frank? That it deals with repentance and salvation. That's right, John, because how could you ever be in the will of God if you don't know God? So this is... Uh the entryway. This is the doorway into God's will. And if you think about it then, John, God's will is all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the will of God for our lives. He made it possible through his work on the cross for us to be made brand new and right so that he, the right one, could live in us so we could experience the right one and then express the right one through our lives. So, yeah, we have to begin with Jesus. He is the will of God for our lives. And in him, I don't know, John, is it First Corinthians or Second Corinthians where it says in him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So the will of God, if we're going to find out what it is, we've got to be found in Christ. Amen. And you know, our Father is so focused on all of humankind repenting and turning to him that, look at this word, Frank, long-suffering. Mm. I mean, this is a marvelously rich word that describes just how patient 
Our Father is giving us every possible chance, giving everyone every possible chance to turn to him, repent, and get saved. My goodness, what a oh, passionate heart of our Father. Yeah, when you say that, John, my mind goes back to the early book that he gave the Amalekites 400 years to repent before he judged them. Yeah. And, you know, we recently did a study of the revelation and as those seven bowls and seven trumpets and the judgments of God, every time we got to the seventh one, the angels were on their way and God said, stop, wait and give them more time. What an awesome reality that God, it's almost like he says, that people are just finally so rebellious, so inobservant and, and unwilling to turn, unable to receive that long suffering, that it's almost like God says, okay, you've twisted my arm. I'm finally going to have to judge, but you have chosen it. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. his judgment is a last recourse for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Frank, I did a little bit of a Greek lesson here, as I am want to do, because I'm a, a word geek sometimes, on this word willing. Mm -hmm. And of course, I wanted to find out, well, what does the word God's will actually mean in the original language? And it turns out, my friend, that I found two main words that are translated will in the New mm -hmm. Testament. The first one is thalo or thelema. And this is a, a much more temperate word. It just simply means desire or wish, or a preferred will. But that's not the word that Peter used here. He used the word bulamai, and this is mm -hmm. a much stronger word. It means a resolute will, the strongest possible desire he has for us, powerful, driving. And that's the word that the apostle Peter used to describe how passionately our father wants us all to come to repentance. My goodness, what a cool way that Peter and Peter alone captured this passion of our father. Hmm. This is very important, John, that you brought out that word choice, because there are a lot of translations that translated God desires that all people be saved. Well, that's not the word. Like you said, it's bulamai. He wills it. Now that can cause some confusion because of some of the early church's school of thought, largely centering around a guy named Augustine. A lot of people in the church have the idea that God has this determinative mandated will. And so therefore, he is willing that all people be saved. And then there's a lot of people out there that say, well, God's will is mandated and determinative. So therefore, all people are going to be saved. Well, you know, there's a guy named Bob Warren. He was such a gifted teacher. And he had a motto. And it was simply this, John. When you come to the Bible, look at every word of every phrase of every verse. And here's the key within the context of the whole Bible. And all you have to do is go to the book of Genesis. God made us choosers. You go to Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. We're in the New Testament. Choose Jesus Christ. Repent and come to him. It's a choice. So God has this very determined will. Hey, I want you to be saved. But man has to make the choice. God 
is not a despot, never has been, never will be. He did not create robots. He created people with choice. And so his demand is his desire. It's, it's, it's so much bigger than a demand. His heart is in this. I want you. I've done everything I can to get you to choose me. Uh, but he's not going to force us to. So yeah. he really does, John, want every human being to make that choice. In fact, in John, is it 11 or 12? Jesus said, when the son of man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. John, every human being on this planet, this is so huge, is being drawn to Jesus Christ so that God's desire, his heart, his, his will is that they would be saved, but they go kicking and screaming against that drawing and choose other than him. Yeah. So it's huge, John. You mentioned the context and Frank, I found it interesting that of all the verses that talk about the will of God, Peter wrote this one. And you remember Peter. And he is the one, the only one, who really brought out this powerful word for the will of God. Peter, who was a timid, fearful fisherman, denied he knew Jesus, who slipped back under law in Galatians chapter 2, he now has become a passionate, fierce shepherd. And that passion and that ferocity comes out in this word. So what a cool thing to see the heart of the shepherd Peter roaring in the defense of the church, isn't it? Oh, John, you know, as I just heard you say that, this passage popped in my brain. John 21, you mentioned his denial around that campfire. And of course, when the Lord Jesus resurrected, he built a campfire. Talk about setting a scene. Oh, yeah. And then he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, three denials. And right away, people look, wait a minute. What happened to forgetting our sin and remembering them no more? Well, I like to refer to that passage as Peter's ordination. At an ordination, you get asked questions to see if you know what you're talking about. Well, the issue wasn't that Jesus asked him three times. It wasn't that Peter denied him three times. The key is in Jesus' answer when he said, go feed my sheep. Because what he was saying to Peter was, no matter what you've done, you're still my guy. I called you before you failed to feed my sheep. You're still called to feed my sheep. Peter's ordination centered on that he knew the grace of God. He knew the person of grace, Jesus. What better man to become the chief shepherd and call people to the grace of God than Peter? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he learned the hard way, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, man. But he learned, and once he learned it, it stuck with him. Boy, reading his, his epistles to a persecuted church really shows that this guy knew his father and wanted those Christians who were being persecuted to cling to him as well. Cool stuff, man. All right, let's jump to a different verse. This one's in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And this one, frankly, I don't like this verse, Frank. <laughs> Can we skip this one? I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. It says, give thanks in practically every circumstance. <laughs> give thanks in all circumstances. And I guess what? I looked up that word all in Greek and uh, <laughs> it means all. Yeah. Uh, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Frank, this brings up a topic 
that, you know, God's will, he wants us to give thanks, but sometimes God's will takes us through a path that brings us to suffering. That mm-hmm. valley of the shadow of death sometimes can be first and foremost in our minds. So how hard is it to do this? You're talking about giving thanks in the midst of a nightmare, potentially. Well, John, I think it's very important that our listeners need to hear this. Nowhere did Peter say we need to feel like giving thanks. This is not about what we feel. This is about who we know and therefore what we choose to do. We have a God who has promised to work all things towards our good. And again, John, when he says all, that would include our failures. That would include our sin, things that never should have happened. But he will take those, and because he's the God that he is, he will bring about good in our lives. You know, John, I was teaching a Bible study this week, and I was sharing with the people, and they saw it. It was so wonderful. Adam was in the garden. There was a tree of life. There was a tree of law, tree of right and wrong. God said, I have one law for you. Don't choose the law. (laughs) And Adam chose the tree of law, the tree of achieving, the tree of performing. I'll be my own God. Here's the amazing thing. The law then ministers death and condemnation to us and becomes our tutor to lead us to Christ. John, that is the ultimate. All things work together for good. Adam made a choice that plunged the whole world into sin and death and under the law. And God says, I'm going to use that for good and drive you back to the tree of life. Jesus, the one you should have chose in the first place. I got to believe, John, that if he can do that with the worst moment in the history of man, he can do it in whatever circumstances come into our life. And knowing that leads me, guides me, urges me to grit my teeth. And sometimes I do it, John, with gritted teeth Oh yeah, and say, God, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to thank you. And can I add one more thought, John? Sure. Sometimes it might take me a month or two to get there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I try to ultimately get there. There's no timestamp on this command. (laughs) And it is a command to give thanks. You're right. Sometimes it takes a while. And sometimes it takes uh, a little more experience and some retrospective and make that gesture of thanksgiving. Frank, I started looking at this word thanks. And what I found was it's the word Eucharisteo. Now, you and I were both raised in the Roman church, Mm. and that's the root word for Holy Eucharist, Holy Mm -hmm. Communion. And when you look at it in that sense, this giving thanks is a deep, full, rich, heartfelt gratitude. And of course, I jumped to Luke 17. Remember the Mm. the story when Jesus was walking along and 10 lepers called Mm -hmm. out to him? He healed all 10, but only one approached Jesus, fell at his feet, and then scripture says, he eucharisteoed Jesus. Mm. And so what happened with that 10th leper? Of course, I got caught up in this. And Jesus said this, Because you have come back and you have Eucharisteoed, you've thanked me. Your faith has made you whole. 
That word, Frank, is sozo, as you know, a really Mm -hmm. popular word. And in this sense, it means complete restoration, that Mm. his thanksgiving supplied what was lacking. He was made complete. And so when I looked at that, I said, wow, it's so important for us to give thanks because not only is it God's will, you know, God doesn't need Mm. his ego scratched. He doesn't need to be told he's right. It's for our own good. This Mm. leper was healed but he wasn't complete. And it wasn't Mm. till he gave thanks that he Mm. actually had that complete restoration. Frank, what an amazing thing that Mm. the will of God in giving thanks is for our own good. Mm. Listening to you, John, again, these verses just start popping in my head. I'm so glad you brought this up. I think of the verse, how can two walk together unless they agree? So, by thanking God, and it's not that we thank him for the pain and the suffering, but we give thanks that he's in the pain and the suffering, that this is not the end of the story. It places us in agreement with him. And so that removes the bitterness. It helps to salve the pain. It places us in harmony with him, John. And and again, that idea of Eucharisteo, My goodness, the thanksgiving, if we recognize that word, he did not spare his own son so that we could be in relationship with him. That should help us along in the issue of thanksgiving because we're responding to this promise that this son who died for us now lives for us now lives in and through us and so we can enter into a thanksgiving that he's in this with us and there's a different ending to this chapter being written oh yeah cool stuff man all right let's move ahead to the next verse we're not going to get through all seven today of course but the next one i have is first thessalonians four Mm. three through five and it says this Mm. for this is the will of god your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, it's easy to get focused on sexual immorality, but let me reread that verse with punctuation in place, Frank. Mm -hmm. And And it reads like this, for this is the will of God, comma, your sanctification, colon. And so the will of God is for us to be sanctified. That's hagios, holy. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important ways for us to be sanctified is that we abstain from sexual immorality. You know, Paul mm-hmm. told the same thing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, but he used a stronger word. He said, flee. Mm-hmm sexual immorality. And of course, you just read through Proverbs, there's tons of passages in there talking about sexual immorality. So Frank, why is this so particularly destructive, this Mm -hmm. sexual immorality, Mm -hmm. and undermining to the will of God in our lives? Why did Paul Mm -hmm. pick this out? I think, first of all, John, we've got to deal with that word of sanctified. It's a twofold deal. It literally means set apart from the world and set apart 
unto God. It's as if you were looking left, your body was facing left, and you turn 180 degrees and face right. And so it's a 180 degree turn. It's Galatians 6. I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. And so now I seek God. So I'm set apart. And John, there's some confusion in our modern church. There's some people who hang on the verses like Jesus saying, it is finished. And they say, sanctification is over. It is a done deal. It was an event. Then there are people that point to Philippians 3, where Paul says, I've not arrived yet. I press on. And so they say it's a process. And so we've got two camps, opposite ends of the spectrum, one saying it's an event, one saying it's a process. And John, most times when I see two extremes, they're both right and they're both incomplete because the truth is somewhere in the middle. It is an event and a process. <laughs> it's like a marriage. It's an event, takes place on a day. That couple leaves the church married, but I can guarantee you they spend a lifetime learning how to be married. Oh, yeah. That's the way it is for us. We got sanctified. We are perfect in Christ. And now, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are being sanctified. We're in the process of learning how to live according to who we really are, getting what's on the inside expressed to the outside. And so I think it was important to clear that up. Oh, yes, indeed. Then the first issue is sexual issue. And you say, why is that? Well, John, the whole heart of Old and New Testaments is a cry from God's heart for us to be fully restored to him in intimate oneness. And sexual union is the greatest counterfeit we have to intimacy with God. Based on your gender, you're either inside someone or someone's inside of you. There's pleasure. The rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket in that time. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And there's a reason for it, which we don't have time to get into today. We'll have to do that another time. But if you are not drawing life from God, if you are not drawing intimacy from God, you will go looking for life in other places. You will go looking for intimacy in other places. And the one you don't want to play with that is the most powerful counterfeit is the sexual union. And that's why Paul said, don't fight this temptation, baby. Run from it. <laughs> that's right. When you really pay attention to the punctuation in that passage, first that's four. Mm. It changes your perspective. You realize that God's will is your sanctification and mm -hmm. everything else is just an obstacle. And yeah. the biggest obstacle, as you said, is, uh, is sexual immorality because it's so powerful and it's so convincing, Frank. I know I don't want to get off topic mm. either. Maybe we'll do a series on this uh, sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. But right now, I think uh, Paul nailed the leading counterfeit, as you said, mm -hmm. uh, to intimacy with our father. So with that, my friend, wrap up this episode. Well, we've got three beautiful explanations so far of what the will of God is. God has the incredible determination that everybody would be saved, realizing all that he is, all that he's done for you, all that he's doing for you. His will is that you would thank him in whatever circumstance you're in, good or bad, because he's using it in your life. And because of that, 
separate from this world, come out from this world, live looking to him and live from him. You know, John, even without looking at the other four, that's a pretty potent explanation of God's will. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. And as we'll see, as we continue down through this list, most of the things where people get confused about God's will aren't going to show up in any of these verses. So please, friends, if that intrigues you, <laughs> join us next time as we continue to unpack these verses. But for today, uh, we do give you our sincere thanks for listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And if this has ministered to you in any way today, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there to draw you to understand the incredible truth as Jesus Christ is not only our Lord and our Savior, but our very life. And as always, we close with the same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have a hope that's an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a blessed hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose that hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.